prepare myself to minister, um, I pray that everyone will benefit from this message. I pray that everybody will receive something from this message tonight. Uh, but we're believing God even on this Father's Day as we celebrate this day. Uh, most of you men, you were already here. You heard a sermon on Father's Day this morning. But I'm going to preach still tonight on the subject of parenting. And uh, I really pray that the message will minister to you and help you. I want you to go to Proverbs 22, uh, the book of Proverbs 22. I'm not going to take too long tonight. Uh, we're going to hear the Word of God, uh, pray, spend some time with God. Uh, but as we look into this, I also draw your attention uh, to one of the things that we begin to pray for during the season of fasting and prayer. Um, and that is that God will give us leaders and examples within the church and also in homes. How many know we need examples in the church? We need people who will lead the coming generation. We need people who will lead the new converts. We need people who will lead uh, people, others who walk through the doors of this church uh, into what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a testimony for God. And so it is my heart's desire as I preach this, don't shut me off just because you may not be a parent tonight. Everyone can benefit from this tonight. And I pray it does. Proverbs 22. I, speak, I picked up an article not long ago and in the story it asked the question, what in the world is happening with our kids today? The author went on to say, Let's see, I think it started when Madeleine Murray. how many know who Madeleine Murray is? Madeleine Murray was the lady who removed prayer from the school. So this transpired and happened in 1970s, 1960s. She removed prayer from the school and people accepted it. Again, I mentioned to you, adapt and accept. Instead of fighting, instead of retaliating, instead of saying, no, this is not... Human nature, human beings are notorious for aligning or even being pliable to accepting after pressure. After you've been pressured for a while, you begin to accept and adapt. Then there's another person who came in and said, not only you shouldn't pray in school, you should also stop reading the Bible in school. And then they accepted that. They said, okay. Then there was a doctor who came out. Benjamin Spock was his name. This man came and he said, we shouldn't spank our children when they misbehave. And so everyone said, okay. Then someone said that teachers and principals better not discipline our children when they misbehave. And our administrator said, no one in the school better touch a student when they misbehave. And people said, okay. Then someone came up and said, let's allow our daughters to have abortions. Listen to me, abortion is murder. Alright? 
to have a child in the womb and to go to a doctor and say, kill that baby is murder. And no one resisted the idea. People fought for a while, but eventually most of the world said, okay. Then someone said, let's give our sons freedom to immorality. They can have all the fun in the world as long as they don't have to tell their parents. And people said, okay. And then some of our top officials said that it doesn't matter what we do in the private as long as we do our jobs. And people said, okay. So now, after all of this compromise that has happened, we ask ourselves, why do our children have no conscience or conviction? What happened? What happened to the, rever- to the reverence, the honour, the respect that they had for God? Why doesn't it bother them that today in America, you walk into a school or you can pull out a gun and just shoot someone in public and go on doing it? What has happened? Somewhere, we removed God a little bit here, we removed God a little bit there, and the very faucet and truth of what we reap is from what we sow becomes the reality. We cannot look into the future, but we can look to the past and avoid repeating the same mistakes. So the question today then is that if we consider all of this in the past, what compromises are we making today that will begin to affect the future of our coming generation? What decisions are we making today that will cause a whirlwind of effects and tragedies down the road. So with that as a backdrop, I want to preach very simply tonight a sermon I've titled, Critical Parenting. Parenting tonight is a noble call that God has given to every parent tonight. I said this morning, it is our call to be a steward. A parent is called to be a steward over their children. Billy Graham said, parenting is the most important responsibility most of us will ever face and none of us will ever do it perfectly. Listen carefully to me, beloved. Now more than ever, I don't care how near, how far, how much access you have with your children, I say to you today, as exhausted and as overwhelmed as we are, the Bible begins to give us understanding that this duty of parenting is a critical call and it cannot be taken lightly. The parenting call tonight, when you choose to have a child, is a call that isn't cheap. It is not a call that can be dismissed easily. It is a high call. It is one that comes with great responsibility. You and I as believers must understand that as parents, we are stewards for a season in our children's lives. Proverbs 22 verses 6, the scripture says, Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart 
from it. I didn't read that passage to you this morning, but I love that passage because it gives us a promise that my labor, my faithfulness, my commitment, my consistency to God, that if I made an effort to teach my children to pray every day, if I made an effort to teach my children to read the Word of God every day, that if I made an effort to teach them to tithe when they get an increase, if I made an effort to teach them to give an offering when they come to church, if I made an effort to teach them to be a witness and to share the gospel with their friends and families. If I made an effort to teach them the importance of being in church, then the Bible says, train them up. I make the, oh pastor, this is so unpopular. It is so uncalled for. It is so un, un, uh, 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 you know, desirable to our generation that a person would come three services a week. A person would show up in church as often as that. But can I tell you as a pastor, I've been pastoring long enough to tell you that I can see the future of your children by how you behave today and you treat God. We carry upon ourselves that responsibility. I was so encouraged when Venus shared that story with us that she spoke to her daughter in the Philippines and I think she's told her daughter, you need to go to church. You need to be in church. She's right here. But she's influencing the decisions that her children make. You need to go. You need to be in the house of God. And today her daughter has gotten saved. She's in church. And not long ago she got water baptized. You train up. I know the future of that child. I know the future of her children. You see, this is the responsibility we carry, beloved. A child, what is a child tonight? Let's, let's gauge this tonight. The Bible speaks of a, of a considerable latitude concerning the term child. It's broad. It's, it's broad. If, you, if, you know, if I asked you, uh, what does a youth mean in biblical terms? Anyone below the age of 40. <laughs> That's me. I made it. But that's a youth, right? We look at Abraham and Isaac and we think that Isaac was an old boy or old man. Uh, sorry, Isaac was a young boy. No, he wasn't. He was about the age of 25 to 30 when his father took him up. Some commentators even say he was close to 40. So he had a brain. He had free will. He had conscience to decide what he wanted and what he wasn't like, you know, Jeremy's age or Julia's age. You come with me now. You know, you couldn't do that with Isaac. I mean, he was an older man. But the Bible says he was a youth. Remember the story also depicts about the life of David who was a ruddy looking youth. So, the term is, is, is it's broad. But according to the and I don't like to use the United Nations, but anyway, according to their definition, it is 18 years old and below. A child is considered anyone who's 18 years and below. So suffice to say, that is the bare minimum age. God expects a child to grow up. God expects 
us to grow up and mature. God doesn't want for us to stay a child for too long. And eventually, we are left to make our own independent decisions and choices, right? So, going back to the spiritual uh, connotation of this, when you are a Christian and you still require God to feed you a certain way, how many know when you become a new Christian, you see God moving in ways where it's like, wow, wow, God did a miracle there. And then as the longer you become a Christian, the miracles become even more scarce. Because now you're matured, you're supposed to be matured. You're supposed to be growing and you shouldn't be saying, oh, God's taking me for a ride or God's you know, abusing me or God's violent. Because you're matured enough to know that He is God. How many know I'm preaching tonight that, 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 is, that is what... You come to a place where you're matured enough to accept He is God and I'm an adult. And I can now accept what God wants to do. That's what comes with maturity. But when you stay a child, why God is so unfair? Why God not doing this for him? Why God not? Have we grown up? Have we matured? Have we grown in our relationship with God? See, I told you whether you're a parent or not, there's something in here for you. But God does expect every child to grow up. Right? The Bible, and I'll read a scripture in a moment, but there are three things that a parent must do for a child. And I want to leave you with these three thoughts and then uh, bring this down in a few moments. Number one, you must be able to provide for your children. I'm not talking about finances. I'm not talking about monetary provision. I'm talking about guidance. I'm talking about providing them with active advice, getting involved in their life. This involves providing. I pastor long enough and I can tell you there are some young men and young women whose fathers and mothers never even take the, take the time to sit down with them and find out what's going on in their lives. They don't have a relationship. They don't communicate. They have no clue what's happening in their life. The second thing that you and I need to do is we need to prepare them. Listen, your children isn't going to stay at the age of 5, 6, 10, 18 forever. You have to prepare them and give them the support for what lies ahead. It can be emotional. It can be physical. It can be social. Emotional support is to teach them not to be a, vi- a whiner. Just because things don't go your way, what do you have? Pout around? Because some adults do that, right? <laughs> they still do that. They never seem to grow up. So they still need emotional support. And then you have, you know, the physical support. Like, don't eat too much of that garbage. It's going to kill you. We've, we've told our kids, <laughs> I, I, I uh, you know, some of you may get so offended with this, but I don't care, I'll tell you. We had some, you know, people over to the house not long ago, uh, Brother Bill and, and his family, they came on a Wednesday night to our place. We had a dinner there. Um, and so they drink Coke. And so to accommodate, I bought Coke. But I went to the fridge this week I, I don't drink it, so my wife does. And so I, I, I went to the fridge, I opened it, I said, stinking Coke. 
You know what I did? I took both the cans that, that, that was all left, two cans of Coke. I went to a toilet bowl and I just, because everyone said it cleaned the toilet well. <laughs> and so I, I threw it in and I, I don't know where they get, but that's physical. So kids, you're not going to drink stuff like this. You're not going to eat stuff like this. Are, are you with me? You don't expect them to somehow become, you know, 15, 20-year-olds and, you know, they know what to drink and what to eat. No, they need your help. That's why some of these youth, Isaac at the back there, you can hear me, bro? They go to Potboy and they buy rubbish. <laughs> are you with me? We, we, no, so my point is, we all need guidance. That's your duty as a parent to teach them what to eat, what not to eat. Social, how do they speak to people? How much of respect you have for someone? Are you with me? As parents, these are my, this, this is my duty. I have to provide this. Say thank you when I, when I send my kids to school. I say, what do you say when you see your principal? Good morning? I say, no. Good morning, Madam Chong. Why? Because I'm teaching them not to be socially awkward, but to learn to communicate with respect. It's my duty as my wife and I, it's our duty as a parent to teach our children. So you begin to prepare them emotionally, physically, and socially. Thirdly, you need to protect them. So you provide, you prepare, and you protect. Now you protect them by keeping them away from harm. You correct them when they make bad decisions. You speak into their life. I pulled out the scripture this morning. A father chastises the son whom he loves. Help them make choices. Help them to, 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 to decide on what's right and what's wrong. My kids are at a stage right now where I have to make, my wife and I have to make a lot of the decisions for them. But they will come to a place when he hits 13, 14 years old. The more good decisions he makes, the more freedom I will give my son. That means he's going to come home and tell me, Daddy, I spoke to this person and you know, this is what I told them, I'm a Christian, whatever it may be. And the, more, the better decisions he makes, the more freedom I will give him. Love plus responsibility equals freedom. Are you with me? In other words, I'm training them, I'm teaching them. Right now, I make a lot of decisions. I don't want to eat this. No, you have to eat it. But eventually, it comes to a place where there are decisions they have to make for themselves. Today, we have the outsourced parenting. Where we expect someone else to take care of our children. Where we expect somebody else to play the providing role, the preparing role, the protection role. Where we want someone else to equip them. But I say to you, beloved, as un, uh, uh, unpolished as this sounds, parenting requires for us to be present. Cannot do it without being in contact with your family, your children being in excess with them. You cannot say, oh, I love them so much, but don't talk to them. It's not possible for that. Can I make a statement to you? Intention 
cannot replace action. You can have good intentions all you want. I love my children. But I say to you that intention will never replace action. So let's bring this down, the second point, because parenting is one of the most challenging tasks in life and you cannot take it for granted. For the simple reason, one thing that, that, that I want your attention, I want you to get this, why is, it, why is it that I'm emphasizing that it's such a challenging task and it shouldn't be taken for granted because you have a limited amount of time. That's it. So Audrey was born in February. Four months have passed. The parents at this moment have the most amount of time for the next 17 years and six months or 17 years and eight months to mold a girl and to shape her. And the same is true with my children. I have seven, eight years to go. I have another, you know, 11 or nine years to go with, my, with, with Julia. But for the most part, I want you to understand, you have a limited amount of time. They live longer than the amount of impact or influence you can have in that 18 years. So in that period, like I said this morning, you are taking responsibility as a parent to do what is right. Psalms 127, 3-5 Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, I, pre I preached on this this morning, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Let's dissect that. Like arrows, the call of a parent is a call to fight. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. The fight is real. You are fighting for your children's soul as much as Satan wants to take them. Satan is using the media today. Satan is using the distractions today to lure them in. Today we live in an extremely distracted society that there's a lack of focus, there's a lack of clarity. You can preach a sermon like this maybe up to seven times before some people will get it. I'm telling you tonight, the enemy is real, Satan is real, he wants you to let your guard down, he wants you to compromise who you are as a parent, and then he takes aim at your children. The unpopular yet necessary task of Christian parenting requires that we embrace and engrave the doctrine of God's Word into our children. We must take the Word of God and just like God wrote that on the stone, you and I have the responsibility of imparting the Word of God into our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It is the duty of every parent, or if you don't like the word duty, it is the duty of every parent to make God's Word a part of our everyday life. Every day when we live. Every day our children must say, Julia came up to me the other day, we were talking about something, she said, why is it that you pray, 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 pray? I said, fantastic. I know I'm doing something right. Why is it that you always... And she's the only one who will hunt me, cow cow. You know, Jeremy is a bit of a quieter. The other day we were talking about something and we were talking about some, you know, uh, will and different things. And, you know, don't worry, I'm not dying. <laughs> it's just that we were talking about something. And then she said, you know what, Daddy? You give me the house and then you give Jeremy the money and the car. I was like, you know how long I have before I die? <laughs> and you're talking about my inheritance to you. What in the world is wrong with you? She just weird. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, the point is tonight, it's our duty as a parent to impart the Word of God into our children. Pastor Paul Stevens, one of the leaders in our fellowship, <laughs> Uh, he pastors in Texas and, and he shared this story uh, about his son and, and what was so fascinating about the, 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 the story is that he was sent out to Pioneer Church in the UK. And so when he went to Pioneer, Pastor Paul Stevens went out to Pioneer, there was one particular Sunday where he arrived the church building and the building was locked. I mean, they rented you know, uh, halls in those days. So in order to have service, they, they have to go and then the, the caretaker opens up the hall and then they, you know, have service and they finish off and they go back home. But on that Sunday, no one showed up. The caretaker didn't open the building. The building was completely locked. And here he is, he's come in, he's frustrated, he's pioneering, he's trying to build the church. And in all of this, he's got his one-year-old or, or I think five-year-old son with him at that time. And he's looking at his dad, Joe, Joe Stevens. He's looking at his dad in the frustrations of pioneering. And later he shares the story, it was in that moment that I saw my dad's fate that it greatly made a difference and an impact on my life. Because years went by and he remembered the story that his father in his frustration never lost his faith but held on to God. Today, Joe Stevens is a pastor of a church in Los Angeles. But you see, that's the contributing factor because of a man who not only spoke the Word of God, but He lived the Word of God. So three things I leave with you. What makes parenting so challenging? Number one, there's a gap. Do you realize that between you and your children, there's an age gap? For some, it's a little bit lesser. For some, it's a bit older. You may be, but at minimum, you would say 18 to 20 years apart at minimum. You have a gap. And how many know in that 18 and 20 years gap, 
things change awfully a lot. Things have changed. When I was in school, we never used to have a cell phone or a mobile phone. We, we never had it, right? Uh, um, um, these are all trends that have become more and more familiar today. When I was in school, we had what is known as MSN Messenger. How many, how many MSN Messenger? Uh, there was um, Nokia 3310. There was uh, Sony Ericsson K580. See, I told you, it's like R2D2, you know, it's some... some you know, but but these, were, these were the type of phones. They didn't have touch screens. They were all buttons. Right? So, so it was a different world altogether. See, this is what makes the difference here. As parents, we have to make the effort to understand where our children are at. I'm not trying to tell you to become relevant. You know, uh, you know if you're a father, you know, go pierce your ears, put two earrings, you know, put on a gold chain around your neck, and then you know, cut your sleeve, go get a tattoo, so you look relevant to your children. I'm not telling you to do that. You don't have to do that to be able to spend time with your children. You need to take them out on a meal. You need to spend some time. Find out what goes on in school today. Every day when I pick my kids up, that's the question you ask them. I ask them, what happened in school? How was school today? Tell me about your friends. Did anyone bully you? Did anyone say anything? These are the questions. Because I'm taking interest. My wife and I are taking interest to know what's happening in their lives. There's a gap. Things have changed. It's not the same. But one day they will know that mom and dad cares for where we are. So when there's a gap, it makes it so hard to parent. As a pastor, I can tell you that's true. When I'm ministering to younger people, you know, though I'm not that old, but the point is there's a gap, beloved, between the time that I grew up and the time that I've gone into adulthood to who I am today and the ministry that God has brought me into. All of these dynamics, when we took the church in the early years, most of you will know our church folks were mostly middle to older people. 40, 45 onwards were mostly. And so I always looked at God. I said, God, you have a sense of humor. Here I am, 21 years old. I thought you'd fill me up with young people in church. But you sent me some old people in church. You sent some middle age. But God was developing me for what He's bringing to pass. Because the experiences, the exposures, the encounters, dealing with the older people, dealing with more experienced people, gave me the ability to understand how older people think and then how younger people think. God knew He's building the church, not me. So there's the gap that makes it challenging. Ephesians 6, 4, and I... Read this passage today, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Number two, what makes, what makes uh, um, parenting very challenging is leading by example. It's hard to lead by example, especially in the self-saturated, sin-governing world where everybody wants a kickback, a bribe, lie, cheat, steal, and everyone thinks there's nothing wrong with that. 
You have to lead by example. This is a challenge. This is not easy to do and I'm not going to belabor you. I've already spoken concerning this today. But we must always pray, God help me to be a good example to my children. Why do I come for prayer? Why do I come in and lay hold? Why do I make that effort every day? Why do I do it? Because it's setting the coming generation up to understand what commitment looks like. Leading by example. The third thing is time. We live in a in an extremely time-consuming society. A lot of times, I begin to ponder this, and I was just telling Yen about this yesterday. I said, you know, if I look at my schedule, I do have a lot of time here and there. All of us do 168 hours a week, to some degree. But at the same time, I was telling her the job and the responsibility that I carry on my shoulder doesn't just require time, it requires energy. You hear a lot of people talk about time management. Do I have time to counsel people? Oh yes, I've got lots of time. But it, the energy it takes, it drains you out. And you can only do so much. One sermon will take me about five to six hours to get completed with. But the preparation to that sermon, the thought process to that sermon, the thinking goes for days upon days upon days that it consumes your energy. Not your time, but your energy. You go to work, you work eight hours a day. But in that job, you're thinking. It takes energy. You're processing things. It takes energy. So you see, it's more than time. It's energy consumption as well. And this is why, if you're not careful, the greatest challenge you will have is to have no time for your children. It's to have no time to sit down with them and to spend time with them in this competitive situation that we're in. The struggle to keep up with the demands of the world. I have to work a job, Pastor. I have to bring home so much of income. I've got overheads. I've got this. Uh, and it goes on and on that we have no time for our children. So my question tonight to you is, do you know who our children are being friends with? Do you know what they're looking at on the phone? Do you know where they spend time with or in when you're not around? Do you know what their favorite food is? My children change every day, so. We favor today pizza, tomorrow spaghetti. You know, it's like <laughs> you can never figure it out. They just want to catch you, you know. But but do you know? And then we blame the young people when they don't spend time with us. We gave them the phone. We gave them access. We gave them the, the, the ability to distract themselves on social media. Tonight I challenge you, even with these challenges that you face, don't neglect the promise of God that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
claim that promise. Joshua 24, 15 says, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites. And Joshua goes on to say, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can I tell you, this is God's portion for families in the church. As for me, and you have to fight for that to become your inheritance. You have to fight for that today in our generation. In, in the midst of all the challenges, the gap, the leading by example, pastor, there's so much sin going on, but you still have to make right, good decisions. Or time can be the challenge. I don't have time. I don't have time. No, you must make the effort tonight. You must say, God, I am choosing that this will become my heritage. This will become my inner. That as for me and my house, my whole family will get saved. I'm praying for that. Even in this time of fasting, I pray that God, you will save them because it is my desire that Joshua's cry will become my promise. That as for me and my house, listen to me, I leave you with that challenge. Do not, do not be dismissive about it. The devil is trying to take families down. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The story about a woman named Cynthia, and I close with this story. She said she shared this story. But her father, who had made plans to take her out on a night in San Francisco, Cynthia was only 12 years old. Her father had been planning the date for months. They had a whole itinerary planned out. She would attend the last hour. He was a presenter. He was a public speaker. She would attend the last presentation and after finishing that off, he would meet her at the back of the room at about 4.30 and leave quickly before anyone tried to talk to him. They would catch a trolley car to Chinatown, eat Chinese food, which was their favourite, shop for a souvenir, see the sights for a while and then catch a movie. Then they would grab a taxi back to the hotel, jump in the pool for a quick swim, order a hot fudge Sunday from room service, and watch the late, late show. So they discussed the details over and over before they left. The anticipation was part of the whole experience. As everything was going according to plan, eventually the father was leaving the room and as he was leaving he ran into an old college friend and business associate it had been years since they had seen each other and cynthia watched as they embraced enthusiastically his friend said i'm so glad you are doing some work with our company now when Lois and I heard about it, we thought it would be perfect. We want to invite you and of course your daughter Cynthia to get a spectacular seafood dinner down at the wharf. At the wharf, at the wharf. Cynthia's father responded, Bob, it's so great to see you. Dinner sounds great. Cynthia was crestfallen. Her daydreams of trolley rides and ice cream sundaes evaporated in an instant. Plus, she hated seafood. 
She could just imagine how bored she would be listening to the adults talk all night. But as she was thinking about all these things, her father continued, turned to the, young, to, turn to the man and, they, and he said, but not tonight. Cynthia and I have a special date planned, don't we? And he winked at Cynthia, grabbed her hand, ran out the door and continued with what was an unforgettable night in San Francisco. As it happens, Cynthia's father was the management thinker, Stephen R. Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If, if you know the book, it's a famous book. It's well-recognized. But she went on to say, with deep emotion, she recalled that evening in San Francisco. She said his simple decision bonded him to me forever because I knew what mattered most to him was me. You see, what spending time with your children can do. There are times a phone call will come in and I'll excuse myself on the phone. I'll say, listen, I'll have to call you back. Or I can't talk right now. People get offended by that. But never forget that there's children there's a spouse, and there are times they mean more to me than anything else. Because they must, you and I have to realize, beloved, that that sacrifice and those choices we make will create the greatest impact that will last for all eternity on our children. When they know you make time for them, they know you love them. And that's irreplaceable. Are you with me tonight? And I challenge you. I'm not saying that people are not important. Don't, don't take that out of context. There are, there, there, there are times if I say I call you back or whatever, it may be I will call you back. You know I will. But it could be because I may be in the midst of something. But I always want my children to know you are the world to me and mommy. Because I only have a season of their life. I want you to bow your heads with me.